Welcome to the podcast, Three Things That Matter. My name is Anne Blake, and in each episode, I interview a different guest. They are asked to bring three things that matter to them. These might vary from books and plants to places and occasions. These three things provide the jumping off point for discussion of the extraordinary in the everyday. Three Things That Matter is a Limerick Post podcast and is released every second Wednesday. In episode two of the second series, I speak to James Lawler, director of Narrative for Ireland, a national empathy education programme that began in US high schools and is now running in secondary schools in five countries. James is an academic and has recently graduated with a PhD from the School of English in UCC. His work examined the Great Book of Ireland, a vellum manuscript created by craftspeople writers, artists and composers to capture a snapshot of Ireland in the late 1980s. He is editor of the anthology I Live in Michael Hartnett and an occasional writer. James lives in Limerick City. So James, welcome. Thank you, Anne. I'm really delighted to have you on the podcast and well, what I tend to do is I tend to get straight into it and just ask you to introduce your first thing. So when I first got this brief, I suppose I was thinking of picking three objects. I thought that was the brief. And then I learned it could be anything. And all of a sudden it became a lot harder. Um, so I had to do some soul searching. And out of many things, I picked three things. Um, so the first thing I picked is education. And I suppose on reflection, I spend the majority of my adult life and indeed my childhood in education. In fact, I've been, I was thinking about it, since 1991, I've been in education. I went to a local primary school that only had like 60 students. And in the whole, the, the whole primary school? The whole primary school. We had three oh. teachers. And then on to the vocational school in Newcastle West. And I suppose, like a lot of people, I found that transition really hard to go from a very a place where the culture was very, everyone, it was like a family, a larger family, to secondary school. And I wasn't, I was a bit of a late bloomer in secondary school. I wasn't, I wasn't great at keeping up my studies in, in secondary school. I kind of lost my way a little bit. And I, I remember I did a junior cert and I remember getting the results and just feeling like, I could do better you know I wasn't I was and that that feeling kind of stayed with me and I started really to apply myself and I became uh, really focused on my leaving cert and trying to get to college um, and we don't really in my family like we didn't have a history of higher education like both my parents uh, would be regarded as early school leavers and only one only one of my grandparents got the opportunity to attend secondary school. So there was a bit of freedom to this because we didn't, there was no pressure to attend college. Um, but it was something that I kind of wanted to do. And But going to college, when you come from a blue collar family, um, it's a whole new world. And there's so many questions uh, and so many, you know, things that you just, you just don't grow up with people talking about going, going, to, going to college. Uh, but the minute I stepped onto university campus, I just felt at home. I just... It was just my place and my people, and I just felt at home. Um, and I really, you know, I, I started in the University of Limerick in 2005, mm. and my degree was uh, New Media in English. 
and I just really loved it there and I just got great support through um, like grants and the Millennium Fund which was for low-income families and I just never I suppose I never it was just a time that where I really thrived and and kind of it was just a really a really nice time and I made some really uh, lifelong friends and even some of the lecturers I'm still in touch with today and one of those lecturers, uh, even I remember when I was finishing up, she kind of helped me and she kind of encouraged me or told me, or I didn't have a choice. She helped me fill out an application to go to Queens and Belfast to do a, an MA in in literature. Um, so I did that and I filled it out and I got accepted. And uh, at that time before the, the recession, I was even, I got an Irish government grant to do a postgraduate. That's cut now. Um, oh, wow. so that's kind of a, a new barrier like you know that I didn't that's there now which, which wasn't there uh, 12 years ago um, and I stayed like and I stayed in education when I finished a couple of years outside it and I went back and I, in 2013 and I started uh, a PhD journey which took uh, you know, I was working with it it took like seven years so I've been been in education a long time and it's something maybe that uh, I value uh I think education is a great leveler and I think if you're learning about something you're passionate about the whole world kind of opens up to you and and it's the world becomes kind of exciting and um, even though you know you can acknowledge that the world is this complex flawed but it's also this beautiful thing and education kind of puts a framework on that Mm. and it gives you that ability to kind of critically think and I suppose gives you confidence to navigate the world. It's it's funny when you say like um almost apologetically that you took seven years to do a PhD. I mean, first and foremost, you did one. I mean, not many people can say that. But I certainly remember there was a period of time when when I was younger and my my and my my dad's an academic, so I you know, I had this awareness of academia from a young age, but a PhD was at least seven maybe 10 maybe 12 years like it was always this big commitment and then I suppose in in more recent years in the last 20 years it's become you know this but I mean I think I think a lot of people who've had PhDs for a long time would laugh at the notion of somebody going it took me seven years like apologetically they're like of course it did I mean it should and you were working full-time as well it's not like you were just doing a PhD you were doing a PhD and you know running an international uh company that works with with loads of schools like it's i mean i just think it's gas i think my own dad is is who comes to mind who'd go like of course it took him seven years i mean (laughs) that's only right and and that would be full-time in his head you know you'd be doing nothing else but um but but your phd so it's uh it's funny how things have changed but it's also i was just when you said there about um your your primary school like 60 kids that's that's an average of like what eight per class or eight per year i mean yeah yeah there was i think yeah there was actually eight in my class so we were a <laughs> small small group of people but you know you would be mixed in with other classes so okay. you'd have you know four fifth and sixth in the one room so you could be and i had a one year where you would have a younger sibling in the room and of course that would be <laughs> the the worst thing ever <laughs> But um, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was actually a really nice way to be educated. It was a very, very kind of empathic place. It was a great culture there. Everyone kind of knew each other and the teachers were 
really, really um, just brilliant people and people that, you know, we I'd still know today, like you, you meet them on the street and just had that uh, sense of connection with them that I suppose you mightn't get in a bigger school. It's, yeah, and I think it's funny when you're talking about what education does for you. And when I think of the work you do, so running Narrative 4, which is about using stories to generate empathy in young people. But I, it's a thing I, I've kind of thought a lot about this lately and having nieces and nephews and and working with teenagers in general. Like a big part of empathy, I think, is curiosity and caring or being interested in detail, being interested in stuff in general, like having a curious mind, like being interested in what somebody else even has to say, because a big part I know what you do is around listening skills and that. And um, even from what you're saying, it it seems like it it sparked a lot in you, but it really sparked your curiosity. Like what I'm seeing is, is that it, it created this bigger world and bigger worlds come with curiosity. Do you know what I mean? You ha- To be interested in the world, you, you need to be curious about it. Yeah, and I think, I think in Ireland, you know, as Irish people, we're always kind of, we point out maybe the negatives that we that our society uh, has, but I think really like I think our education system is probably one of the the really like it, it, sorry our education system like is really excellent, and I don't think we give it enough credit sometimes. Like the whole country is. Like the time when the leaving cert results come out, like the whole country is is talking about it, and you don't have that in, in in other in other countries. We have this kind of an obsession with education and a value in it, um, and I think that's kind of like socially that's reflected as well. Like like in nineteen sixty seven, we abolished um, secondary school fees, which allowed a lot of a lot of young, you know, young people from different backgrounds to start to attend uh, school and different things came along with that. There was like free travel, etc. So they cr- removed some of the barriers and they raised, raised the, the age that you could leave, leave school. And then, it's, you know, if you move on to like in the 90s underneath Brenach, uh, who's a, a minister for education, she removed the college fees. Uh, in 96 so that created like a whole that that wasn't like when you think about it it would create create a huge social progress which is one move that the that that these politicians uh did um which you know I, i'm guessing there was probably a lot of arguments put forward at the cost of everything but when you think of what it has given to the country and what what it did for the next generations and from people like me who probably if i was born in another country I wouldn't have got the chance to go to college, you know. As I said, I was a late bloomer. Like I, I, I didn't have, you know. You hear people writing in in other countries writing college applications, and you need, you know, your captain of the football team, your you know head of the debate debating society. Uh, it's what you know. You need to be like this very very well rounded person, uh, and I wasn't saying I was well rounded. It's just I wasn't. I wasn't. I was a late, you know, I was a late bloomer. Like it took, it took, it took, it took until maybe like till I was seventeen that I was like, no, I'm going to become serious on this, and I did become very serious and and uh, like I I I got, I got like a really good leaving cert that I got my first choice, and I could have I could have picked, you know, I got I got what I I got to do what I wanted to do, and that was 
that was amazing and it was really um it was something that um stays with me to this day like you know that that thing of working hard for something that you that you want and, and getting it and so so I guess we should move on to my second object. I absolutely. I I I wanted to just uh, really echo echo um one thing before we do. Um, it's a friend of mine. Um, you know she's now really big job in London in political consultancy, from rural Clare, and she said I'm a product of free education. You know I'm what happens when you give a chance to someone, and and I just think when you're talking about that. When you're talking about where, like, how the world maybe that was presented to you when you were small, like you could have ended up doing quite any number of things, but education is this huge central part of your life. Um, and as you said, you've been in it for for much longer than like we all spent, if we're lucky, fourteen years in it anyway. But you, you got a you got a good few more in there. So <laughs> and, and 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 continue to be it. You know, I work in an empty edu- as you said, an empty education, and work closely with teachers and try to, I guess, change cultures of of secondary schools to make them a more kinder, empathic place. Because I think that's where real learning comes when you feel supported and. Um, I like everyone I speak to about about this. You know, we all have that one teacher that encouraged us, or maybe more, and um, and the benefits that that can bring. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh it's something that, uh, has defined my life up to this point, uh, and continues to, and and it's 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 nice to, it's nice to kind of be part of kind of 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 the education sphere because you know i get to meet some like some amazing teachers who give up their free time to do our training um during their midterms and summers and holidays and it's just something that's not not acknowledged enough that the amount of extra work that teachers that teachers do and are want to put in and make the lives and the outcomes better for their students and i think that's pretty incredible um that's a pretty incredible place to be lovely so i i interrupt you were already talking about your second thing and i went hang on i've more to say <laughs> but yes please please um if you can bring up bring us your second thing so my second thing is actually a physical object and it's a light switch but it's not just a regular light switch it's a very old light switch so i'm just gonna so it's, it makes this noise when you click it and um, so it's an object i suppose that it's it's a round light switch. It's black, um, like you'd see in some country cottages uh, from the fifties or sixties. It's reminiscent of my. Sorry, I think of my grandparents' house. The second I look at it, and there's bits of old paint on it. So, <laughs> so it's it just tells a, a story, and I suppose it's an object from my past. Um, it's a it's a light switch from my grandparents' uh, house, and this was a, a house in West Limerick, uh, a hundred and fifty year old kind of farmhouse. And it's a house, I suppose, that I grew up in and I uh, saved this object when the house was being rewired a couple of years ago. And and it, it was a house, I suppose, uh, as I said, I grew up in. When I was seven, I moved in with my grandmother and she lived, she lived alone. Uh, she was widowed and she was in her, I suppose, her late 70s at that stage. And she didn't want to sleep there alone at night. So, um. Kind of, I just, I'm not too sure how it was decided, but I, I ended up moving, moving in and spending, spending the nights there, and kind of spending my childhood moving between, 
the two houses. Uh, my parents' house was maybe a hundred meters down the road, and uh, I, 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 uh, I moved in, and uh, this house was, was, kind of it, like it was a house that maybe tourists would pull up and kind of take pictures of because it was very authentic, a kind of Irish cottage. It had like a tin roof. And but it had like half slate, half tin roof, and it was kind of a little mm. bit rusted, and it had these old, you know, wooden sash windows, that were kind of crumbling. So they were there since, from the from the, from from the time it was built in maybe the eighteen sixties, and my grandfather had bought this farmhouse with um without my grandmother's permission. She hadn't seen the house, so they moved from kind of a modern house in the late 50s early 60s to this kind of farmhouse that had no toilet no running water oh, uh, no electricity and um, <laughs> honey look what i got you <laughs> and she uh she, yeah I, I actually found out after after she died my grandmother that she hated the house like when she first moved there and it kind of all made sense like she hated it like when she first first moved there but the house was never really mod- like they modernized it in the 60s but then they didn't it, was, it wasn't a house you could do too much with like the walls were like six foot deep and uh it was it was authentic like you know you could see where the open fire would be but they just put in a range so it wasn't like extensively renovated and mm. um, but it was a house i suppose it where i i i got a love of um, old things and I just really loved that house and I loved kind of everything about it and um, and it was a house where I suppose my grandmother um, she was someone that she didn't have a lot really in life and um, you know there were small small farmers and um, but everything she had she kind of minded and um, she would kind of talk you know she was always like telling stories like she was born in 1917 so like she would tell stories from the 1920s when she was growing up and um, from the 1930s or you know the war the emergency um, yeah. and I kind of got this kind of sense of the 20th century and this and uh, this kind of love of the 20th century and this kind of uh, I suppose uh, understanding through my kind of family history um, about the 20th century. But, um I I I uh I I just did find it so funny the idea of like being carried over the threshold the bright and groom it's like wait we had a nice house what is this uh, but no I think what you said there it, like that sense of connecting to the the century to, through her and 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 both of my managers but through this house that's um it's really evocative it's that sense that a place like would you know would give someone i you know all these amazing things that have happened in in her lifetime but it's it's her but it's also the place i think um there's something especially like when we're children there you know i i find sometimes when i talk to my 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 dad now even about things from my childhood you know and he's like oh we, we were just busy we didn't notice that you were noticing all these things or connecting but when you're a kid you just you just soak it all up don't you like it's you know you're just like 
probably picking at the windows or picking at the uh, the window frames or you know and it's also charming and interesting and your granny's probably like we need to get that fixed but when you're a kid there's a there's a beautiful kind of um it's just where it's where you live and you're not or sorry it's where your grandparents live um and I just I what age were you when you when and when it was kind of decided for you to to move to or to stay there so I stayed there from when I was seven until I was 18 um, and I moved out when I was going to college and uh, like I really I had my I really enjoyed it there like I was in like I I was kind of in one sense I was in kind of a caring role um, and in terms of you know you'd have to be do especially when she got older like my grandmother lived till she was 95 but in another sense she was kind of you know fussing and kind of always giving you money and she was very she was very generous and and I yeah I enjoyed it but it came with a bit of responsibility in my teenage years as well like if there was a family function on or something you know I'd have to find someone to stay there so I kind of had this kind of extra responsibility and uh, maybe that other other people uh, didn't have uh, but it was it was yeah it was kind of it was kind of it was kind of, it was kind of a different existence like she lived a very frugal kind of lifestyle um and her and kind of enjoy what she had like she didn't you know she read a lot and i think i developed an interest in reading from from that from my kind of from my time there and um, and it was a place where I suppose where history, as I said, was living. Like there was a big portrait, like a really big portrait of her family, um, when she uh, in the in the kitchen hanging up this big black and white photograph, and uh, it was all her herself and her siblings and her mother. Uh, but her her father was missing from the photograph because he was working, in Arnacrusha when building the building the 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 dam or b- digging it out so which you know mm. he's working as a laborer there and she used to tell me he used to cycle from west limerick down to arna crusha and it was they were living in work camps down down there um, wow. so, and i only thought of that last night when i was thinking about this object of electrification and it was like you know it's all it like our like when you think back like on our family's history and how come we how far we've come in a few generations you know yeah um, and and the opportunities that have been offered to us that weren't there in previous generations like um um like my grandmother and and all our siblings really they were very scholarly they were just academically inclined but they didn't get the opportunity to go to secondary school but like i remember doing my leaving cert irish you know i'd be doing my homework at the at the at the desk and I wouldn't be doing my schoolwork up there but I do my Irish because I could ask her anything and she'd be able to tell me and I'd be like you know and she'd left school at 12 but she had a she had a definitely had an affinity and was kind of I suppose after leaving education at 12 she went working as a servant but uh but continued her education informally through reading and and so watching tv and doc you know uh, uh radio and but mainly reading, like she was always, always, always reading, um, which um, is something I think that um, is something that gives, I suppose it's it's one way to educate yourself, you know, if you don't have access to formal qualifications, you know, books and libraries and 
everything can can give you that education yeah there's such a huge amount of of information and connection at our fingertips at all times but to sit and actually read something or or like that to educate yourself through the power of reading like it's always it's funny like I think with the fact that you know these last number of years I'm speaking from my own experience really uh, how I can watch a number of seasons of something and not be able to remember the name of the show (laughs) yet if I read a book um, it's a different way of consuming information that it just lodges differently and I'm not saying books good, television bad. It's more, I think, the nature of the consumption. So if I watch, the TV shows from my youth, I remember them really well. Probably something to do with my age as well that I saw them. But I think if you watch a season in a few days, as opposed to give yourself time to to digest it, um, it it can just kind of go in one ear and out the other. I, I don't know, certainly... That's been my discovery with, with the binging of the last, uh, especially year and a half. But there's something about reading um, that it just, it, it just, it, it's like it connects to a different part of your brain or something or just kind of lodges more there. Yeah, there's a slowness to it. You know, you're, you're taking it in line by line and it's, you're not, I suppose when you're watching television, you're stimulated in different ways but with reading it's just really the bare line of text and it's the images that are in your head that start to start to form a little bit I suppose by listening to audio you know it's the same kind of process I find and and there's something kind of magic about that like that the imagination sometimes can be more powerful than the than the visual um, and and yeah and that kind of leads kind of nicely <laughs> to, oh, yes. to, to my next uh, to my next object, which is another uh, real life object, and I, I just had to include it because it has been kind of so much part of my life as well. And it's a book, um, it's a book of poems by uh, the West Limerick poet Michael Hartnett. It's a beautiful yeah. green covered book, and there's a portrait. Um, by Edward Maguire of Hartnett as a young man with kind of a bird kind of sitting on sitting on the window. Um, Michael Hartnett uh, was a writer who was lived he was born in Newcastle West and he lived from nineteen forty one to nineteen ninety nine. And uh, when I was growing up, I'd often hear people talking about the poet Hartnett, and he was kind of this figure who lived in Dublin, but he was kind of this. He was this figure that people would talk about and they had a bit of intrigue about him. But like I've never heard anyone talking about his poetry. It was more about what he said or what he did. Um, but um, I suppose this like object kind of represents to me, I suppose, uh, home and place and language. Um, when I was 17, I finally kind of, I used to be vis- I used to visit like my aunt's house and she had this book, uh, not this actual book, but she had a collected poems and I used to like open it and like read it, and then put it away. But I was always I was curious about it. And uh, when I went to college and was studying English, um, I I started reading it more and I kind of I suppose it opened up that world to me of 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 literature. I was studying literature, but also I had this access 
to this poet that was speaking about my home place and about streets that I knew and I suppose uh, it was something that I kind of developed an affinity with him and and interestingly like Michael Hartnett uh, lived with his uh, grandparents as well he was fostered out as a as a as a child and a lot of his poems talk about kind of seeing the decline of the old ways and um, so when he was growing up in the 40s and 50s that there was this I suppose long 19th century so you know you people born in the 19th century who didn't really adapt to the 20th century like they were still living this very very I suppose Victorian or like or, or this lifestyle that hadn't really changed from from the 19th century you know modernity hadn't swept you know it maybe reached Dublin and, and maybe the urban centres and uh, at this time he was witnessing as a child it's kind of decline and decline of culture kind of culture and oral kind of traditions and maybe superstitions and that's kind of peppered in his work and it's something I could relate to uh, really um, I suppose like you know from growing up in the country area where like you know, I, I I was very superstitious as a child. Like I I remember, you know, I wouldn't step in a crack on a road or on that because I had been told these things: never step in a crack in a road. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, he he yeah, it was something that I really, um, really kind of uh, had like an affinity for. But uh, I was thinking of reading like one of one of his poems, if that's okay. I was I, I was I was hoping you would. So that that's really lovely. I I don't like to put people on the spot. So um I'm glad that's perfect. So this is one of uh this is actually a poem about uh Hartnett's uh Michael Hartnett's grandmother who lived um a couple of miles kind of outside Newcastle West. And uh it's one of his most famous poems, but it's also something it's also it's it's a poem that I suppose I could read and here kind of over and over again and just find something new in it um, and I just think it's something it's a work of kind of it's a work of art really it kind of captures uh, what I was talking about and you'll see when I read it from what I've been talking about why maybe why I have that kind of affinity to it so um, this poem is called Death of an Irish Woman so ignorant in the sense she ate monotonous food and thought the world was flat and pagan in the sense she knew the things that moved at night were neither dogs nor cats but puckas and dark-faced men. She, nevertheless, had fierce pride, but sentenced in the end to eat tin diminishing porridge in a stone-cold kitchen, she cl clinched her brittle hands around a world she could not understand. I loved her from the day she died. She was a summer dance at the crossroads. She was a card game where a nose was broken. She was a song that nobody sings. She was a house ransacked by soldiers. She was a language seldom spoken. She was a child's purse full of useless things. Oh my God, that's gorgeous. Wow. I love that line. I I loved her from the day she died. It's um. It's, it just kind of comes at you, but it's just that whole sense of disappearing world and and customs, 
and things being lost. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, he said that line. Uh, I loved her from the day she died. Was an apology to her. Um, but yeah, like I think, and especially, I suppose, modernity. You know, was slow coming to Ireland. Um, but when it did come, it came really, really quick. So from you know from the late sixties onwards, it was sweeping changes and. A lot of it, you know, was for the good, like 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 the four mentioned, you know, introducing um, or abolishing school fees, etc. And, and this idea of modernizing Ireland and better standards of living. But at the same time, um, I suppose customs and uh, people were moving to urban centers. Things were being lost as well, like elements of our culture had been lost um, and and especially I suppose around like the like the the Irish language was considered was and and the Gwail talked areas were kind of declining and which which kind of fed into how we were teaching Irish then you know it wasn't this living breathing thing it was this very serious thing and um, I think while we got a lot of things right in terms of education I think the Irish maybe we, we didn't it's only recently where I suppose with TG Cahar and all that, we started to kind of embrace, uh, embrace kind of the Irishness, uh, or the Irish language more. So yeah, Hartnett kind of captures that world, um, in really a unique way that things were changing, and he was the, he was the storyteller that was was capturing it, and he felt that he needed to capture it and, and kind of record it, and, um, there's another poem. Uh, about his grandmother um, where there's lightning striking nearby and you know while he she he says he writes that you know mrs halpin knew the reason why that it was the gods that were angry this this the pagan kind of um forsaken gods that we had turned our back on um, and he captured he kind of captures that where that that element of irish life that was very ancient where people would do things on particularly on May Eve or on Lunasa or on Saun and and this continued right up until you know the thirties and forties, say for Lunasa people would light fires and go dancing um around the fire and and you know the Catholic Church at the time were trying to really uh not promote it or trying to stop this practice because it was a practice that had that had gone that had had its history in like pre-Christian Ireland, but the people continuing it on. And some of the traditions took on a, a Christian element to it. They were, it was kind of incorporated in. Um, and uh, I, I suppose Hartnett kind of captures that as well, this, this, this idea of our, of our ancientness and of this kind of inherited knowledge uh, from our ancestors um, and things that we celebrated, we celebrated the calendar, you know, as, you know, as Celtic people, we celebrated in diff- different ways and we marked, uh, we marked occasions um, and did things, you know, and, and the, the world, the, the world was, was not, um, this, we marked how the sun kind of spun around the world in, in, in a way that was uniquely ours and that why should we lose it? Because we were giving all this up for globalization and what globalization would do for us and like the free market and all that, that maybe, 
maybe we should maybe stop and maybe see like what can we keep here like and because you know i suppose our identity was very much informed by that as irish people and um hartnett of course he 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 gave up even though he was very much accomplished poet writing in the english language in 75 he he vowed that he would never write in the english language again that he said it was the language only fit to sell pigs in in the, better than just in this poem called the farewell to english and he vowed that he'd only write write in in irish from then on um which was an act of uh decolonization and i know that some scholars have kind of connected him with uh with writers in africa who vowed the same thing around the same time which is kind of interesting because i guess i guess when you have the world changing so quick that some people are the are are the people who who stand up and stay stop and are are the activists and he he said that his poetry was you know the act of poetry is a rebel act uh, he said and that uh, I guess it is like by by remembering it it's it's you know by writing it down and committing it it's not forgotten and um it's something that and he's remembering the act of losing it as well that we gave this up as a society and. Um, and I suppose it's it's natural, as well, isn't it? We we as each generation we we borrow from the past, but we also make new. So, um, there's an element to that that as well. But um, and I think you know we've been through a very turbulent time in the last you know eighteen months, and I think everyone that you meet, they've kind of reflected on like, oh, what do what do I want to hold on to it from the past and maybe some of us have re-engaged with things that we did in the past that gave us joy and um, and yeah maybe maybe Luna said dancing at Luna said could make a, a comeback who knows I, it's a lovely thing actually I noticed a bit online that people were saying things like in bulk and Bialtina and and Luna and Sao and that the four big um kind of Celtic markings of calendars in a way that I I haven't really seen that before and I suppose it's kind of interesting that when you talk even about Michael Hartnett and and the poets in Africa how like before social media and that there's still this thing as zeitgeist or things can happen across the world at the same time even if people aren't talking to each other there's you know there are moods and 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 spirits or whatever you want to call it it's just this kind of collective um I don't know mindset that that can happen in in different places, and but I suppose now we we can kind of track it a bit more because you know if you say something, people say, "Oh yeah, I read that," or "You must have read that," on blah, and you go, "Well, actually, oh, I didn't realize that was happening." But it's, um, I personally, I I would I would love to see a welcoming of our of our ancient culture or a celebration of it because the the vintage I am. You know, or they. I didn't really grow up, grow up with that, and also I, I grew up in the in the city. You know, and my my parents kind of have always been city people, and are back a couple of generations. Um, so there isn't a lot. I don't have a lot of that. Uh, in my culture, in in my dare I say culture, you know, <laughs> microculture of my life. So I I would be, you know, I'm fascinated by it, and um, I'd love to see a return to that kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. Like I, I would have grown up, yeah, seeing my grandparents, especially on May Eve or, uh, you know, sprinkling the holy water at the four corners of their land. And it was something like they would say, like, oh, the old people told us this. This was kind of a, 
a refrain, you know, even though you could be in your 90s talking about the, the old, old, <laughs> the old people, <laughs> um, which, which was nice. Um, and it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to, it is kind of nice to mark it, I think, to mark these kind of uh, Celtic, or these kind of uh, events that were celebrated for, for you know, for thousands of years here. Because you, you are kind of, I think, marking, you're kind of honouring your kind of ancestors, you're honouring your your heritage in a way you know even if it's even if it's uh lighting a candle um which i tend to do i do that on like maeve or, or something like that you know and just just kind of mark that occasion i think it's it's um it's something that i think it's something that's important and i think it's great to see it kind of come having a comeback and more people more people um celebrating it Um, i, I know that if you go out to Loch Gor on on uh, you know the stone circle grange stone circle uh like or just uh you know um you'd find people kind of just walking the walking the around around the the circle and i've seen like even even people who aren't like what you'd consider hippies or whatever you know they'd be locals and they'd be barefoot and they might just be doing it and you'd just be thinking where does that come from and maybe they were taught that as children and how far does that go back and yeah it's just interesting how people connect with their past through these rituals. It's it's so true and and it's funny thing about the language as well. Like would you would you have much Irish yourself? Yeah, I, I would have it like a little bit. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be like fluent and it's something that I would love to kind of love to learn more. Like I have it because when I'm around I've some friends who who speak Irish all the time like they, they you know they went to to grade school and they continue to do it and I remember I was living one of one of my friends she, I was living with her for a while and uh, she's an Irish teacher and she would just speak Irish and you just find yourself kind of kind of picking it up but uh, I was during the midterm there I was I was I was uh, out at the, at a swimming pool in a in a hotel nearby and it was a family of maybe like four kids and her father and they were like speaking kind of Irish to each other and I hadn't come across that maybe because of lockdown we haven't been anywhere and we've forgotten what life was like yeah. uh, but yeah, I was really struck by it and I was like it continues like and I think it's important like it, it continues um, and I, it's interesting to see how Irish continues on social media and how people people are are doing kind of interesting things and um, with Irish and others, a, a, a local um, media a person, Louise Cantlin, uh, who is uh, like uses social Irish to her social media all the time, and she's a TV presenter on like TG Car, and it's just like uh, I think it's it continues on and grows in ways that we don't we don't that we couldn't have predicted ten years ago. Well, it's true, and and the power of. The language is like using it and not being afraid of it. I think a big issue with, as he said, maybe we got wrong, uh, kind of in the past was how it was passed on. And I know a number of people my age and older and younger too, who have a lot of fear around getting it wrong, fear around, you know, it's not something you give it a go. It's like if you speak it wrong, there's a, a trigger in there that tells you, you know, Niha or whatever. And it's funny, my sister's a primary school teacher and she realized that a lot of her negative stuff was like cuteness and, you know, 
um like when she'd tell people to be quiet or whatever it was always Irish words and so what she started doing was saying those words in English and praising them in Irish and just a little switch Whoa. you know <laughs> yeah and because you realize how like what does everyone say they say on Wilkia the Gumdogli and Laris you know um, and Cunis these things that are either like a question for to go to the toilet or quiet and uh, it's more silence really isn't it Cunis is like it's like be, or it's more be quiet rather than you know in in that way it's an order um but yeah it, it's such a beautiful poetic language um that i like by rights we should absolutely love it and celebrate it and um it's a shame that there's something inherited and not a, like our our experience from our youth that was around getting it right rather than exploring it and, and trying it out one, one of the things that michael hartness uh, wrote one time is that as irish people we think in english but we dream in irish and i think that just captures kind of the kind of the essence of the irish soul really doesn't it that's gorgeous that is such a beautiful beautiful sentiment to i think to 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 end on really um i think that's gorgeous and i don't know maybe maybe irish language storytelling nights might might be in the future for you at some point james maybe maybe yeah. foster a, maybe on just, the, the celtic festivals or something around the bonfire <laughs> something something not something nice and accessible you know i think it's the big thing uh look at me suggesting suggesting more things for you to do as if you're not busy enough uh <laughs> but um james thank you so much that was absolutely delightful and just fascinating and heartwarming and i i hope you enjoyed it too thank you Anne. thanks for having me you've been listening to three things that matter with me Anne blake a limerick post podcast produced by eric fitzgerald theme tune is composed by myself and performed and recorded by my lovely brother david blake you can follow limerick post on twitter at limerick post If you enjoyed the podcast, please let others know and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at AnneBlake78, on Instagram at AnneBlakePlay, and the podcast on the hashtag 3ThingsTM.